Hey y'all, and welcome to the Feasting on Truth podcast. I'm Erin Warren, and we have reached the halfway point in our study of Romans. I can hardly believe how fast it's going. If you want more information about this study as well as other studies that we have available, you can go to feastingontruth.com slash Bible study. Also, be sure to stay tuned at the end of today's podcast to hear what's coming up on the podcast for Christmas and the new year. There are some exciting things on the way, and I don't want you to miss them. Romans 8 is such a deep, rich chapter, and I think we could study this one for years and still not come to an end to the treasures that await us in these passages. It's uplifting, it's filled with hope, and it helps us remember that all we have is by His grace and for His glory. Here's Romans chapter 8. Welcome to officially week nine of our study by his grace for his glory and inductive study on the book of Romans. And today we are in Romans eight. Um, It is quite possibly the most uplifting, the most quoted um, chapter in in the Bible. It is um, it's such a good one and it's deep and it's rich. And so because. I always want to pray over my mouth before I teach his word. Um, Would y'all pray with me? Father, goodness, I am just blown away by who you are, Lord. Um, The list of characteristics of you in Romans chapter eight is extensive, Lord. And um, it causes us to pause and it causes us to reflect and it causes us to just be in awe and so grateful for what you have done for us and for who you are. Um, Lord, I just pray that as um, I share, Lord, that it would be your truth, that it would be your words, Lord. Um, I get out of the way. I lay aside my agenda. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would do what you do best, that your word would go out. It would fall on us and it would cause um, growth and it would cause life and then it would um, not return void, Lord, but it would accomplish the purpose with which you said it. We open our hands, we open our eyes, we open our ears, we open our hearts, Lord, to hear and learn from you, our teacher. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. We have come, like I said, to one of the most encouraging and uplifting passages in all of scripture. Um, I think Romans 8, um, as you were studying this week, I am sure there were several verses that you were like, hey, I've heard that verse before, um, because there's there's so much. And um, I feel like what we have seen in Romans thus far, we've seen um, the chapters are broken down really into these, these sections that really focus on one area. And we get to Romans 8, and it's just a pow, 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 pow. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, and he just moves through so much as he kind of wraps up um, this second section of the book of Romans. So remember, Romans is broken into four different sections. Um, the first is kind of a picture of our life without Christ um, and compared with um, God's righteousness. The second section, which um, covers Romans 5 through 8, talks about our life because of Christ. And so um, let's remember too, Paul is writing to bring unity between these two clashing ethnic groups, between the Jews and the Gentiles within the Roman church. Um, And um, he has laid out again, how we are um, without him, we are sinners 
destined for death, that we have no hope. But now because of Jesus Christ, we have hope um, and we have salvation. Um, and so um, in the second section, chapter five, he really focused on how we were enemies of God. But now because of Jesus, we have peace with God, um, that Jesus came while we were still his enemies so that we could have access to God's grace. Um, and then he com compared Adam and Jesus how sin and condemnation and death came through Adam, um, righteousness, justification, and life came through Jesus and only in faith in him. And I want us to remember that because we're going to kind of see Paul start kind of wrapping up. He's going to revisit several of these things that he has already spoken about in this section in chapter eight. Chapter six, he talked about sin leads to death, but now through Jesus Christ, we have new life. Um, we do not keep on sinning because of the covering of grace, but rather we walk in obedience with the covering of righteousness as we are sanctified. Um, this was kind of our first um, understanding of living in this already, but not yet, how we're dead to sin, but we are in a process of sanctification. Um, here on earth, that process, the churchy way, looking more like Jesus. That's how we say it. Um, and then he used this earthly example of slavery to talk about how um, we were slaves to sin. And remember that idea of slavery was absolute ownership. We were absolutely owned by our sin nature, but how now um, we are slaves to righteousness. We are slaves under God, who is Adonai, our Lord Master. He is a good master. He is not like um, sin. And we're going to see that in chapter eight as well. And then chapter seven, the law shows us our sin. Sin takes every opportunity to deceive us. And there is nothing good in our flesh. Um, his law is holy. His law is righteous. His law is good. So we want to think of that as his word. Um, and that we now walk in the new way of the spirit. And he ended, had this moment where he said, thanks be to God for Jesus. Um, and so last week we really saw that struggle in chapter sin, that's, uh, chapter sin, chapter seven, we saw that struggle um, within ourselves, how um, we have Paul's famous, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. And so we see this struggle that we have with our sin um, and how our sin continues to take us captive again and again, but praise Jesus, it cannot win. So let's jump into Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to to the spirit. So here we see that even though we still sin, even though we still mess up, there is now on this side of the cross, no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
sees us. This um, is a verse that we love to quote, but I think what is so powerful is to see this verse in its scriptural context, to have studied deeply through Romans 1 through 7 and understand what a big deal this is that we now have no condemnation um, when we are in Christ Jesus. Um, we do not want to separate this passage from what it was before. We need to understand the weight of our sin. We need to understand our position and where we were before Christ, as we saw in those early chapters in Romans. And then now, because of him, there is no condemnation. Um, John 3, 16 through 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We quote that one a lot, but if you keep reading, um, I think it's such a, a more, um, powerful picture of Jesus for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I think this is a really important distinction because I think so often people think, we think Jesus came um, and he separated, like these are the people that believe and are, are in Jesus and these are the people that are condemned. But we have to recognize, and what Paul has talked about here in all of Romans is how without Jesus, we were already condemned. Jesus didn't have to come and say, you guys are sinners. We were already sinners and he came to save us, not to condemn us, but to save us. And we see now because of his salvation that we are no longer condemned. Um, this is a great word. And this was one of the words that we looked up in our homework this week. Um, I tended to always think of condemned as shame or um uh, it's one of those words you kind of like, you kind of define around it. Um, and so it's a great one to look up. Um, the Merriam-Webster dictionary defines it as declared to be reprehensible, wrong, or evil, pronounced guilty and sentenced to punishment, especially sentenced to death. Um, the Greek word is punishment following condemnation or a penalty. And so um, for us, there is no longer an eternal punishment, an eternal condemnation over us when we are in Christ Jesus. Um, Paul has been laying out over the last couple chapters about how the sin leads to death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so he's saying that there, um, our sin no longer separates us. Our sin no longer marks us for death because we are under Christ Jesus. He took the punishment for our sin. He took the wrath of God for us on the cross. Um, and because of that, the sin in us has been put, has been put to death instead. And so we get to walk in newness of life. We get to walk in this resurrected life. Um, remember he gave us that picture of baptism of being buried and raised to new life. Um, and that is what we get to experience because of Jesus. Um, and um, now we get to walk in the newness of the spirit. Um, this is a thread that we are going to, I'm going to focus on as we go throughout our teachings. So if you want to, while you're, if you're taking notes to kind of create like a little side spot, there's um, several places where we see what the spirit does for us. And so we see right here in verse two, that the spirit sets us free. Um, 
I love finding um, the roles of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit does for us, um, because I think so often we um, we don't fully understand what an asset and what a help the Holy Spirit is to us. And so I love creating lists of what the Holy Spirit does. So um, let's see what else we have in him. Um, moving on to verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, which who dwells in you. I love this passage. Um, and anytime we see this constant kind of back and forth between what the, the um, a mindset on flesh and a mindset on the spirit, um, this is a great place to kind of chart it. And so sometimes that helps us be able to break down what the author is saying in this passage. So you can just make two columns, one that says in the flesh and one that says in the spirit. And so here in this passage, we see that setting our minds on the flesh is death, that it's hostile to God, that it does not submit to God's way, that it cannot please God, and that it, they, the people who do that do not belong to God. Um, you know, what a dismal picture. Uh, there's no hope in that. It, it leads to death. We're, we're at war with God. Um, but to set our minds on the things of the spirit. I love how the NIV uses the word governed by. It implies it's about um, it's about control. It's about are we allowing the things of the spirit to control our mind or are we allowing the things of our flesh to control our mind? Um, and, and what is that? What are the things of the spirit? Philippians 4, 8, and 9 says, um, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any, if there's any, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If we want to know what it means to be controlled by the spirit. If we want to know um, what are the things of the spirit, then we need to know the word of God. This is one so passionate about God-centered Bible study that focuses on his character because knowing who he is, knowing what he does for us um, because of his character, all of that allows us to set our mind toward him. Um, and, and similarly with his word, if we don't know what his word says, we don't know what to do. Um, if we want to know what it means to set our minds on the things of the, of the spirit, then we need to um, set our mind on his spirit. Um, it is, um, 
I think um, one of the most important things um, that we can do is to continue building biblical literacy and to continue studying his word, asking good questions of scripture so that we know who he is and that we can set our mind on those things. One of my favorite verses, um, Hebrews 2.1, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard or we drift away. We don't drift toward closeness. We don't drift toward God. We have to physically turn our minds to him. We will naturally turn to the flesh um, without the practice of continually focusing our mind and setting our sights on the things of him. And what is um, so, uh, I think, incredible is that when we say yes to God, we give up our desires. And at first, that's really hard. It's hard for us to say, I'm going to give up what I desired in my flesh because I desire what God wants more. But the longer we walk with him, the more we turn our mind to him, the more that we continue to be in his word, and the, the more we learn about his character and who he is, the easier it becomes for us to continually set our minds on the things of God and of his spirit. And this to me is so powerful is when we understand God's jealousy. His jealousy over us is because he knows that our very best life, everything that we need for life and godliness, everything we need for life and peace, it is in him. And so his jealousy is that he wants our very best. He knows that our very best lies in full surrender to him. And so as we study his word, as we discover who he is, um, we, grad we continually open our hands and surrender our fleshly desires and, and instead ask him to give us his desires. Um, and the result of that is life and peace. Um, Y'all, this was one of my huge discoveries as I was studying this passage. Um, and I honestly, I don't know why I hadn't done it sooner, but um, we often talk about how God's word gives life or how um, God gives us life. And we talk about that resurrection power and all of that. And um, I think sometimes I think, well, what is life? What does that mean? And, and yes, he does give us the physical breath, but y'all, this is when I looked at the Greek word um, for life, which is Zoe, um, I think is how you officially pronounce. I don't know that that's officially how you pronounce it, but um, I have a, a good friend whose daughter's name is Zoe and she is named for that for, for life um, because it's the Greek word for life. Um, but here's what the helps word study, um, how it describes it. It is always and only comes from and is sustained by God's self existent life. So when we talk about um, his, his spirit, or we talk about God giving us life, it points us to his self-existence. He is the self-existing one. He is, that is part of his Yahweh nature, is that he um, is the one that is self-existent. And so therefore, he, we can continually draw on his life without it removing life from him because he has everything that we need for life and godliness within him. Um, it, the helps word say continues, the Lord intimately shares his gift of life with people, creating each in his image, which gives all the capacity to know his eternal life. We get to know eternal life because he has 
Um, he is the self-existing one who um, has life and sustains life. And he is the only source in which we can find that life. And not just life, we also get peace. Um, and I think this is Paul pointing us back to that Romans 5.1 passage about how we are no longer hostile to God. We see that com that comparison here again, that those who set their minds on the things of the flesh are hostile to God, but those who are in the spirit experience peace with God. We are no longer at war with him. We are no longer separated. We are now brought near. So in this section, we um, see that the Holy Spirit gives us life and peace. Y'all, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And that is something I do not even have time to cover tonight. But um, if you want to learn more about that, um, I have a study called To Dwell in Their Midst, the study of the tabernacle and how it points us to Jesus. And it is all about God's desire to dwell with us and what a big deal it is that he dwells in us. Um, so life and peace, uh, verse six, verse nine, he dwells in us. Verses 10 and 11, he wrecks, resurrects us. He um, gives us life. He's the resurrection and the life. We were dead, but we are raised to new life. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Paul's kind of returning here back to that idea of slavery. So he, in chapter six, kind of laid out this imperfect human example to try and help their minds grasp and understand this transference of being absolutely owned by sin and instead now being absolutely owned by Adonai, um, our Lord Master. Um, and um, he's, again, we're talking about total control. We're talking about absolute ownership. Y'all, and we've talked about this, sin is a poor master. It always overpromises and underdelivers. but that is not the type of master we see in God, that he is a good master, that he releases us from fear. And so we see here, again, Paul is saying that not only that, like he does not want us to become slaves to fear again. This is not a you were slaves to of um, and fearful under sin, and so now you're slaves and fearful under God. He's saying, "No, now you're adopted. You are heirs with Christ. You are the children of God. You're the daughters of God." This is such a huge, huge shift for them. Um, Adopt was one of our other words. Uh, another word that we looked up this week, Merriam-Webster, is to take by choice into relationship. That God chooses to us to be in relationship with him. 
Um, the Greek word, it comes from two root words, meaning sun into place. It means legally made a sun. And I want to talk about um, just quickly the cultural context here. Um, because for um, the NIV cultural background study Bible um, describes it this way, for people in Rome, adoption meant a cancellation of old legal relationships, establishing a new relationship as an heir. So um, I think we very often kind of lose the, the grandeur of what it meant to be an heir, um, because the firstborn would have typically been the heir of, of almost everything. Um, and so the fact that um, he is, um, he, we would be co-heirs with Christ, that means that we are essentially like for firstborn for them, that, that they would get everything that Christ would, that Christ had. Um, and it's a, a breaking of that tide of the, the cancellation of the old legal requirements. So again, we see this breaking, we see this picture of what it looks like to separate from what we were and to enter into a new relationship um, as an heir. It, it's huge. And, and then on top of that, he calls him Abba, father. So Abba was a respectful term for father, but it was a much more intimate way to address your father. Um, it was a term of endearment. Um, it, it is a term of affection. Um, and so for them to be able to call God Abba, father, was was that was not something that they had done. And so it just shows this relationship that we have this tender, tender hearted father who loves us, who takes us, who breaks the old legal ties that we had to the law and to sin and to the flesh. And he brings us into a new relationship with him where we are um, his children and brought near into a new relationship as his heir. And here's what else um, we see here in this passage that the Holy Spirit gives us. Um, he helps us put death, um, put to death the sin in us. Um, that was verse um, 13. Um, but by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. So the Spirit helps us put to death the sin in us. Um, we, through the Spirit, have adoption as daughters of God, children of God. Um, and this one, I think, and this is something I want us to continually to come back to and grasp. Verse 16, it, um, the spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. Satan is going to make you question whether you are still adopted. He is going to um, make you believe that you are condemned. He is going to tempt you to walk away, to drift away. Um, to set your mind on the things of the flesh, but the spirit inside of you, the one who dwells inside of you that we have seen time. Um, we've seen that throughout this passage, throughout the entire book. Um, the spirit that dwells in us is there to remind you daily that you are co-heirs with Christ, that you are adopted, that you are no longer under condemnation and that you have the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ over you. Do not let him tell you any different. The spirit is there to bear witness to that. And don't miss that last part though, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
y'all, this world brings suffering. And we're going to see that in, in this next section as we kind of move into this. Um, we touched on it in Romans 5, talking about we rejoice in our suffering. Um, do not let anyone make you believe that this world won't have suffering. Um, it is promised to us in scripture, but the suffering helps us remember that this is not our home. I was at a conference um, a few weeks ago and had the privilege of hearing Whitney Capps speak. And she said, hurting makes us hunger for heaven. And I think that um, at this place where I am in my life with multiple health issues in our family that we are walking, um, that the hurt, the pain, um, all of it, it makes me long for heaven because I know that one day, one day Jesus will come and make all things new. But until that day, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going, that is to be revealed in us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Our world is groaning. Um, this is what we often call the already, but not yet. And we've talked about that throughout the study where we, we have been saved. Glorification is coming someday, but in this process in between, um, between justification and glorification, we have sanctification. And so um, we often think about ourselves and we're gonna get to that in just a moment, but creation is waiting to be redeemed as well. Um, it was subject to brokenness when we sinned. Um, it was not, it did not choose to be broken. It was broken because of the choices that we made towards sin and, and creation has suffered. It longs to be free of its own bondage as well. And we see in Revelation 20, the new heaven and the new earth one day will come. And um, Paul here describes how creation is longing for that day that it is groaning. Um, this word comes from a root word um, in the Greek, um, and this is from the HELPS um, word studies again. Um, it's to groan because of the pressure being exerted forward, like the forward pressure of childbirth, to feel the pressure of what is coming on. Um, we see the same word in Mark 7, 34, as Jesus is getting ready to heal a man who was born deaf and in the um, Mark 7, 34 says he sighed. It's, it's this groan, it's the sigh that, that basically um, is feeling the pressure of what is going on. And um, Paul uses um, kind of this analogy, this imagery of a woman giving birth where there's this intense pressure that is getting that grows more and more and more and more tense until it finally gives birth to what is new. And that is what we are waiting for. Um, but until then, this groaning, it carries this idea that this is not how it was supposed to be. And I think as I walk through my own sufferings, as I walk through my own hardships and my own trials, um, I, I sigh 
And I sit back and I go, this isn't what it was supposed to be. And I cannot wait until one day when um, all things will be made new. Um, and it's not just earth that is groaning. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly uh, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All that we face here, the brokenness, the sickness, the cancer, the diabetes, the autoimmune diseases, the sickness, the sin, all of it, none of it was what God intended for us. It was not his original design, but because we chose sin, all of it entered into the world. Um, and so we are going to experience suffering here, but we have hope and we wait in hope. We talked about in um, Romans 5, this idea that hope means trust. And so um, we trust that he is going to do what he said he would. We trust that he is going to one day redeem our bodies and redeem all of creation and make all things new. I like how the NIV put it. It says, who hopes for what he has? We wouldn't have hope for it if we already had it. We, um, but because um, of that, we wait patiently. This Greek word patient is not the same as um, the fruited spirit patience. That means long suffering, kind of that, that um, endure, um, waiting. Um, this one is, uh, means endurance, steadfast and patiently waiting for. Um, the helps word study describes how it, it comes from two root words, meaning remain under. It's like one of my least favorite things about suffering, remaining under steadfastness, endurance, um, especially as God enables the believer to remain or endure under the challenges of life. We are called to remain under, to be steadfast, to endure. And that takes us back to the same um, ideas that we saw in Romans 5, 3 through 5, about how um, we know that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And our hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out um, completely into our souls. Um, he is faithful, y'all. He is faithful. He will do what he says. And because of that, we have this sure and steadfast hope that anchors our soul as we wait. Because he is trustworthy and faithful, we can wait eagerly and endure while we suffer here. Um, and even though we live in this already but not yet, he didn't leave us here to fend for ourselves. He didn't put us in this place and not give us help. He gave us his spirit. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those um, whom he called, he also justified and those he justified, he also glorified. Y'all, these verses, I can't tell you how many times I have not known what to pray. And I have just said, Holy Spirit, you know, and I just trust that you are going before the Father on our behalf. Um, the Spirit, y'all, is interceding for us. He is in us, in us, and interceding for us before the Father. Um, intercede was our other word that we looked up this week, Merriam-Webster, to intervene between two parties with a view to reconcile the differences. The Holy Spirit is doing that. He is going between us and the Father with the intent of reconciling the differences. And I get to that in just a minute. Um, in Greek, it's a multi-level word. So um, this instance in this section right here for interceding, it is the only place we see this particular form of the word. So um, the core root means to hit the mark. It's like hitting a bullseye. Um, the word intercede means to go meet the person or to intervene. So think like an intersection. So it's to hit the mark at a certain point, to intervene, um, to come between the two parties. But here, this word also has the this prefix on it um, that intensifies the verb, meaning it is for our benefit. It is for our benefit that the Holy Spirit in us has come to intersect, to help us hit the mark. And y'all, do you remember what um, sin, the, the Greek word for sin, the definition was to miss the mark, but he came and he intercedes on our behalf so that we can hit the mark. He is moving us toward the heart of Christ in our, um, in our sanctification. Um, and if you'll remember, we um, talked about what his will is. He prays for us. He is interceding for us. Um, toward the will of God, um, we see it in First Thessalonians four three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It is us separating more and more and more from setting our minds on the things of the flesh, and more and more and more turning our minds to the things of God. And that is what the um, Holy Spirit is doing for us. And that, when He says all things work together for good, that is what He is saying. That y'all, that we have a God who would even take our own sin and the suffering that we all experience because we are in this broken world and he uses it. He uses it for our good. And our good is that we look more like him. He uses it as a fire to refine us and to point us to him and to remove the impurities from us. Um, it's that process we talked about in Romans 5 through through 5, that, that his, our suffering has purpose in our life because it helps us look more like Jesus, provided that we open our hands and allow him to work and to show us our sin so that we can be part of that process of sanctification. And real quick, I don't want to skip over verses 29 through 30, because um, these set up the next section, the third section of the book of Romans, where we are going to see 
um, Paul go into a rapid fire um, kind of quoting of Old Testament scripture and kind of connecting the Old and New Testament and talking about what God's family looks like now. Um, so we see this progression, um, but I want us to just kind of point out, and this is highly debated, you may not agree with me and that is okay. I really truly believe that this is one of those topics that we're never gonna know the answer this side of heaven. And I think we're all gonna get to heaven one day and be like, oh, that's what that meant. And so, um, but here's what I found really um, fascinating is it says those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to his image. So um, Eliot's commentary says, God in his infinite foreknowledge knew that certain persons would submit to be conformed to the image of his, of his son and he predestined them for this. So it's pointing to the fact that, that God knew beforehand who would choose to be, who would willingly say, Lord, I wanna be like you. <laughs> like, I wanna give my life to you. I wanna surrender to your ways. I want to follow you. And so the predestination is about being conformed to his image um, and, and not necessarily about whether you would be a Christian or not. Um, and then, so he says, he kind of goes on this whole progression. So I want us to, to keep that in mind as we move scriptural context, as we move into the next section, Romans 9 through 11. Um, and I want us... Um, to, I know there's a lot of confusing topics. So here's what I'm gonna encourage you. What can we know? So instead of trying to figure out what we don't know and letting that be a stumbling block, figure out what can we know? What is God's character? Let's focus on who he is and keep the context in mind as we study. Um, so in these passages here, we see um, two more things that the spirit does for us. He helps us in our weakness. He's interceding for us. Um, and he's interceding according to the will of God. I love how Matthew Henry um, explains the Holy Spirit in his commentary on this passage. Though the infirmities of Christians are many and great, so that they would um, be overpowered if left to themselves, yet the Holy Spirit supports them. Y'all, we, um, that idea somewhere that, that Christians sometimes say that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Y'all, that's not true. We cannot handle, and this verse um, proves it. We cannot handle what is um, what we face in this world. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through God that we are able to face any of it. We would be overpowered if left to ourselves. The spirit as an enlightening spirit teaches us what to pray for. As a sanctifying spirit works and stirs up praying graces. As a comforting spirit silences our fears and helps us over all discouragements. The Holy Spirit is the spring of all desires toward God, which are often more than words can utter. We have a Holy Spirit who comforts us who sanctifies us, who enlightens us. He teaches us, he silences our fears. He goes with us, he strengthens us and he's in us working at all times before the father, amen. And we get to this amazing, amazing closing of this section. 
Verse 31, then what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, and he quotes Psalm 44, 22 here. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You know, these people were facing suffering. They were facing persecution. They were being killed for being Christians. And these verses bring so much hope. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor um, things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Who can bring a charge against us? This is only because Paul has established, remember back to that first section, he established that God is the only righteous judge. He is the only just judge. And so if he's the only righteous judge and he's the only just judge and he says we're not condemned, who can bring a charge against us? There's nobody left. Um, if he says we're justified, we're justified. If he um, says that we are in him and adopted as heirs, who can, who can argue against that? Um, who can condemn us? Jesus is the one who is sitting at the right hand of God. He is the one who took on the punishment for our sin. Um, he's the one that paid the price and he is interceding for us too. Y'all, we got two intercessors helping us hit the mark. He is there going before the father on our behalf, bringing us into alignment with God and in a right relationship. So there's nobody left to condemn us once we are in him. Who can separate us from the steadfast love of our God? No one. We are more than conquerors. The Greek word is to gain the surpassing victory. It has a the more than conquerors. It has this prefix that that is um, it's the word hyper. It's it's pushes it um, kind of expresses abundance. Y'all, this was not a close call. This was not a game that was decided in overtime. This is not a nail biter where you're just, oh, my team last weekend, y'all. It was like down to the wire. I was screaming so loud. I lost my voice. There, it was tense. It was exciting. Y'all, this was not that kind of victory. This was a surpassing victory. This was one where the enemy has been decimated. This is one where the enemy has no hope. This is one that is without debate. Jesus Christ has won the victory handedly, soundedly on our behalf. We are heirs with Christ. We are daughters of God. We are those who live in the spirit. 
y'all. And now we get to live in the victory and the freedom of him, our savior, who is sovereign, our Abba father, who is one, who is peace, who is the resurrection and the life, who is victory, who is our rescuer, glorious, full of grace, full of truth, trustworthy, faithful, our intercessor, deliberate, our purifier, just, righteous, gracious, merciful, Yahweh, self-existing God. And he calls us his own. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has come near. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus. I just cannot even fathom why you would do this for me. Why you would do this for us. And yet you did. Lord, may we never lose the awe and wonder of what your spirit in us does for us. Lord, may we never lose the awe and wonder of what it meant for you to come near, to dwell in us and to draw us near. Lord, thank you that we get to walk in the freedom and the victory, Lord, um, that we are no longer condemned, that we are more than conquerors, Lord, that even when we are groaning, desiring, and begging you to come and fulfill your promise, Lord, um, help us as we eagerly and patiently wait, as we endure and remain under the futility that we um, are um, experiencing now. May we remember that it is nothing compared to the glory that is coming. We love you, Lord, and it's your name I pray. Amen. This chapter is one that my friend Linda Aldridge would have said, who does that? He wants to be our loving Father. He chooses us to be in relationship with Him. He gives us hope. He gives us victory. Oh, He gives us Himself. And as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Let us keep holding to the hope that we cannot see, knowing that he who promised is faithful and he will do all that he has said. Before I let you go, I want to let you know what's coming up on the Feasting on Truth podcast. We will be taking a break from Romans until 2023. I can hardly believe that we are almost to the new year, but there are some exciting things that will be coming in the meantime. So for the month of December, I'm going to be doing a special podcast series called A Gracious Invitation to Christmas. It's a simple Advent study focusing on Jesus and his purpose for coming. Information will be coming out about that soon. So the best way to get that information is to make sure you're subscribed on my email list. 
There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to feastingontruth.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, and you'll see the link there. I also will have a fun bonus series um, in January. There's a lot happening, and I'm so thankful for each of you being part of this ministry. Good days are ahead, and I will see you soon.